0: Thanks for listening to Bezier. Bezier is sponsored by Superhigh, online courses for code, design, and product management. Superhigh's courses can be done in your own home at your own pace. I've been a Superhigh student since 2017 and have gone from being a designer feeling alienated by the should designers code discourse to building my own sites and now even selling web design services. My favorite part of Superhigh is the community of learners. As a Superhigh student, you're added to this huge community of all the other Superhigh students filled with inspiring people from all over the world in all different places in their careers. I've gotten work there. I found podcast guests there and even made in-person friends all because of Superhigh. It's easy to get started. There's an online code editor. You can do it on your own schedule. There's built-in community of learners. It's got everything you need. Start learning to code, design, or product manage today at superhigh.com. I like to have guests introduce themselves. Could you share a bit about yourself?
1: Um, sure. So uh, my name is Senator Uh I'm a creative technologist that work at an agency called Faculty, which is based in Denver, but you know people work all over the place. I work there mostly as a designer and, and like front end coder. And I've been in tech for about I guess five or six years now. And I, in my non tech time, I Play a lot of Dark Souls three and um, ride track bikes, not on the track though, just on the on the street.
0: Just normal cycling.
1: <laughs> yes, just it's just biking.
0: And what are your pronouns?
1: Uh, I use he him. I'm comfortable with they, them too.
0: Fantastic. You mentioned that faculty is based in Denver. People work all over. Are you based in Denver?
1: I am based in Denver. Actually, so faculty is based in Boulder. I may mean, have misspoke when I said that. Faculty is based in Boulder. We got people out. in like Pennsylvania and, and Canada and all over the place.
0: And before coronavirus times, did you work in an office or are you normally working
1: from home? I'm normally working from home. I, I was for a bit working, they have a really cool space up in Boulder that I was working from for a little bit. Um, but I just, I love remote life and being able to like, you know, work from my own space and maybe work from a coffee shop or work, you know, would like set up a different environment whenever I need a different environment. I'm really curious,
0: you mentioned creative technologist, which uh, I, th- I think some people are familiar with that as a title, but I would love for maybe to d- define it for people that aren't as familiar. And you mentioned front end development and designing. I'd love to hear more about that. I'm sure people would like to understand a little bit better of like, what's your day to day like? What does that all mean?
1: Sure. So um, I use creative technologies as kind of a catch all um, for uh, coder who designs from like ideating wireframes all the way back to like uh, actual like server stuff and deployment. Like I kind of do everything within there. And then my focus is mostly on like high fidelity uh, design and interaction and implementing that those interactions on the front end and um, writing, you know, cool animations and, and like WebGL, whatever it takes. Just the, the really cool part of front end development um, and, and design is like the, where I've tried to always be doing work.
0: How did you get into that? Like, uh, did you start as a coder, or did you start as a designer that learned code, or what? What's the career path like that that led to this combination of the skills?
1: Okay, so I start actually. Okay, my dad taught me HTML when I was like eight, and then offloaded a ton of work to me between the time that I was eight and like twelve. And I realized in an interview like you know, obviously a decade later, I was like, whoa, he actually owes me some money maybe. So I I got into tech through a project management internship where I realized that I was a terrible project manager, but I did really like coding and being around code and stuff. So I I learned um, front end from that. And then I just got really, really good at CSS. um, And then realized I was like, I wanted to like create my own designs to implement. Um, and so then I started pivoting to design, and and eventually like moving that more more and more forward in my portfolio until people started hiring me for that. This is actually faculty is like the first job that I've had where I was like considered a designer.
0: I noticed on your website that it, there was sort of a note about not currently freelancing. Were you freelancing before faculty?
1: Yes, I was working at a product shop um, that was doing a lot of like design systems at scale, and I was writing a lot of like very complex SaaS and stuff. Um, which is a cool job, but I really like making websites. So I was doing a ton of freelance just trying to make cool websites pretty much.
0: What kind of websites are we talking about? Are we talking about selling products for companies or are they more like websites for non-tech businesses?
1: Uh, kind of all over the place. I, I, I wasn't doing a ton of e-commerce just circumstantially. Mo- mostly, I think just like a, like a lot of brochure wear with like really f- like cool things going on. A lot of like, I'm just shooting for to win like FWA stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So you
0: said something about engineering side of design systems. I have no idea what that looks like. I have a background in teaching design systems to designers. And like, especially when that was sort of popularizing, maybe after like, like Gina was doing it, and it became big at the the larger scale, but just sort of teaching smaller design teams how to start building a design system. But what is that like, in practice for someone to code a design system?
1: Well, it's a ton of fun. Uh, we tried a couple of different tools like Storybook, um, et cetera, that just didn't jive with our the way that things were working at this particular organization. Um, and the other thing was that I was also in the process of coding a design system, I was also trying to sell the designers on the design system as well. So it's a lot of like, okay, so with thankfully with SAS, which is a preprocessor for CSS, you have access to a lot of like um, variableizing and tokenizing and so you can um, take the the smallest pieces of the design system and, and code them out fairly easily and then where it gets more complex is when um, components start interacting with each other and you have to start accounting for that um, but it makes you write really clean CSS because um, you can't start writing like uh, like one-off, solutions for like, oh, well these two components aren't playing particularly well together because if they aren't, it means you wrote them wrong to begin with, which was really fun. Like there was a lot of code in place when I started working there to build an entire UI, but they weren't using it in a very systematic way. Um, So I managed to like, that was a lot of that job was deleting code. Um, And we ended up with like, (laughs) it was like a a net 100,000 lines fewer of CSS there uh, when I left versus when I started. Just because it's like you, like obviously with CSS, um, sometimes, you know, or often less is more. And um, and especially like with design systems, it's something that you specifically need a ton of tiny pieces to scale into a lot of large pieces. So I don't know if that was a very clear answer. I realized like maybe 80% in that I was like a little bit ranting, but. No,
0: no, no, I, helpful. I, I understood some of that. <laughs> okay, hell yeah. You're at faculty, you're a designer who codes, right? Can I say that? Creative technologist slash designer who codes? Oh yeah, whatever
1: works, listen.
0: <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I like the specific of it. it. It paints a picture, but what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Like what's your workday like, or what tools do you use to do that? I'm really curious of the, the practical execution of it.
1: Like when I'm designing, I work mostly in Figma, we, you know, because it's websites, we don't really, you know, there's a, a lot of um, information architecture thinking that, you know, happens between the the designers at that team. And, and we talk about like structure that's gonna make the site really successful, but we jump really quickly into um, just like actually designing screens and stuff. Cause we mostly, you know, faculty is like really good at doing the web, right? So I do, yeah, I'll do like a, uh, you know, pretty cool site comp in Figma that I'll do, you know, design a couple of different screens or whatever. I've been, you know, the nice thing is that because I know that I'm going to be coding this, um, I don't necessarily need to account for every single decision. Like I don't need to, I'm not naming my layers, <laughs> um, Or sometimes I'll like systemize my, my variables and, and colors and stuff. But a lot of the times I can kind of fill in the blanks with my own knowledge. And then, you know, we'll present, get like sign off to the, from the client. And then I'll literally just like turn around and open VS code in a different, um, monitor, um, and just get underway. Uh, faculty has like a really, uh, killer well-reasoned, uh, like basis for the way that they build websites and they call it, they call it basis. So we'll, you know, we'll start there and I just, you know, basically write, I'm writing SAS and HTML to pull a site together.
0: Awesome. And something you said—you said faculty makes websites right. To me, that means like accessible, um, user-friendly, maybe even like minimalistic, simple. Maybe you could talk about that more. Like, is that what you mean by
1: that? It is what I mean by that. Accessible, especially. Um, we have an amazing team of like sysops type of people and, and back end type of people that make that can make these sites run like blazingly fast like all the, the 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 like necromancy level of caching rules and stuff that they're writing to make, I mean, ridiculously fast. We kind of feel that a lot of the internet has, um, it doesn't work that well <laughs> most of the time. Like, you know, things are blo- bloated with like a ton of additional JavaScript that you don't necessarily need. And um, a lot of patterns that just aren't necessarily that healthy. You know, like websites are websites, but like um, we, Feel that um, the now I'm not going to say the olden days, but like the 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 streak of like really strong progressive enhancement, really strong like accessible foundation. Like if you write the HTML right to begin with, the site's just accessible out of the box. Like that kind of thing is 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 general like that's that's our focus and that's what makes like faculties work really cool and is why I like working there so much.
0: That's awesome. I feel like. The conversation right now and for quite a long time has always been about giant accessibility fails and how too many people sort of let that fall through their fingers. So it's really nice to hear that it's a focus.
1: Yeah. And it's, I mean, like, I'm sure this is a like a dead horse at this point, right? But I, people talk a lot about how difficult it is to add accessibility after the fact. Maybe that's true right? But if you start with an accessible foundation, like if you r- just write it to be accessible, write your HTML page, like it's a document with all the semantic tags that we've been given, it just works. Like it just is accessible. Obviously, in the design phase, you got to consider for like color contrast and color blindness and all these other things. But those aren't hard to consider either. Like you there's all kinds of you can even run automated tests to make sure your stuff is, is accessible.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if you're working in any modern design software you can. There's Stark. There's other plugins. There's lots of like options. What kind of clients do you have? If you can talk about it, and what's the engagement look like? Are these short-term projects, and then they just sort of take their website and leave, or do you sort of maintain them over a period of time? And you mentioned like sysops people, but you're doing design and code. Like, how many people in total are going to work on like a client project?
1: So clients are usually pretty. Uh, like mid to, sh- or short to midterm probably. So like anywhere from a three month project to usually an eight month project is is how long I've uh, seen these things come together. And I, you know, I've only been working here for little, a little under a year now, but that's how that generally works. We're, we're going to a framing company that we've been working with for a while called Simply Frame that they've been a client, we've just been maintaining and building new stuff for their uh, really cool e-commerce platform for, I think like, you know, longer than I've been alive, you know, but then on the other hand, we've had clients like Keybase, um, where we pretty much just like built this really cool book platform for them for, to explain like the value of, uh, of, um, a public key security. And then it's, it's in their hands now. It's, I mean, they've got it open source, but like, we're not, we're not really working on that too much anymore. Besides when we see bugs come up and stuff, we'll usually throw a ring that in that direction. Uh, as far as the team goes, there's like seven people on the team in total which is in my opinion, like the perfect size. Um, and everybody on the team is really excellent at the thing that they do in particular. So uh, usually like we've got a basis, that platform that I was talking about, um, which is not necessarily like a platform so much as just a, a methodology maybe, like it's, got, it's a set a group of tools that we pick right off the bat, but then, um, the, because everyone's like very specialized in the thing that they do, but not afraid of generalism, like it's it's very easy for us to just um, pass pieces uh, around when it's like, oh, actually, I do need some SysOps help with this now, or can you fix like the CSS thing that I wasn't expecting or whatever. The communication is like very, uh, very tight knit, and it's, people are very flexible about um, doing any part of the work.
0: You coded first, then you're now designing... What's your advice for someone that wants to start out that way? Maybe what's your advice for someone that was like, I would like to be a designer who codes? And maybe what advice do you have for someone who already codes and wants to move in the direction like you did?
1: So somebody who wants to be a designer who codes, definitely HTML, CSS. Like JavaScript is really cool. I went through the first three years of my career knowing like four lines of jQuery. You like if you are really good at the foundations of the web platform, which I understand that JavaScript is included in that, but uh, like the the tools that make it really powerful and flexible and a and a incredible document platform. Uh, if you know those very well, you'll find you need JavaScript maybe ten percent of the time that you thought you needed it. There's nothing wrong with JavaScript, but again, like. Uh, and, and uh, you know, all of the cool, like, the, the really cool stuff that I'm able to do is because of JavaScript. But if you know the foundational stuff, you will be an incredible um, whatever you decide to do. Um, and then, so like, the designer aspect. So, obviously, that's the who codes aspect. To speak to the designer aspect, and I'm new to designing, you know, or newish, like, in the past couple of years, right? But the, like... Twitter, design Twitter conversations about like, should designers, whatever, like, is this the new trend? Oh man, all websites look the same now. Not valuable at all. Just focus on like your own stuff, what you think looks cool, what you think is functional, etc. And then try and have conversations and like have, have your own expectations about your designs challenged. Like try and find people that poke holes in your designs and um, do so in a respectful way and then cool, sorted.
0: Recently, I saw a conversation on Twitter about like, criticism is an act of kindness, and not taking it as a personal attack. Because you're right, having somebody that you trust, give you feedback on your work, so it can be better is, is that's mentorship, that's growth,
1: right? And you can find that in the, like in the smallest places, right? Like if you, if you've got a coder that you were like a, you know, a front end developer that you're working with or whatever, like let them poke holes in it. They know from a code perspective, what's going to work and what isn't going to work that well. Um, And I think if you take the time to, to let them, um, if you, if you make space for them to be, to, to be critical of your designs um, they'll, they'll, I think that trust goes a long way, like in the future of that relationship with that person.
0: Absolutely. And I, I think you touched on what I think is the origin story of the shit designers code sort of, I, I'd say it's a meme at this point, but like the discourse of it um, is the the like element of knowing if it's going to be possible to code it rather than like be, being able to code it yourself wasn't necessarily the origination of shit designers code. It, it was just sort of like, if you understand enough code to know what's possible that so that you're not designing shit that does that, like, engineers cannot build.
1: Right, exactly. Like, and that's, you know, the, that foundation on HTML CSS, you'll know, like, you know, you'll start seeing the, through the, the lines of the matrix or whatever with, like, oh, th- this is functionally a header element, or I can do this with CSS grid or whatever, um, or, or the person that I'm handing this design to will be able to do this in this way. I think, I think just in general, you become much more powerful. So
0: for me, as a designer that then came to code, uh, the ad that runs right before we started talking is about me learning super high, like taking coding class with super high. The, the biggest hurdle for me was like some of this terminology is a little scary. What advice do you have for the designer that wants to learn how to code that's just sort of like intimidated about the whole process and doesn't really know how to go about it?
1: Uh, I will say it's scary and over technical by design. I-, I think there's a reason that that that, that feels daunting, um, and it, you know whether it's a general attitude in the com- in the development community or whatever. I think a good starting place probably like for education wise, uh, Codecademy is a really good one because it's free. Um, Treehouse is a good step up uh, when you- when you've decided you've exhausted Codecademy because it's it's fairly shallow. In general, as long as you understand that like pro-developers are only, or like people who develop for a living or whatever, are only Googling their way out of these problems, I think it, the, it feels much more welcoming once you realize you're doing the same thing that everybody else is, but getting paid for it. And then, yeah, like if you pick up a little piece, you can start using that little piece. Then you can use that understanding of that little piece to pick up more pieces. It, it'll start to snowball. Then um, the last one I'll note specifically CodePen is a really cool platform for like demoing and experimenting with stuff. Um, and a lot of the way that I learned how to um, do the, the cool CSS or the cool JavaScript stuff is through CodePen. like just finding someone else's pen, figuring out how they did it, reverse engineering or forward engineering again or whatever. Um, that's a really cool tool for, uh, understanding how you can do some of the more like designy things with code.
0: Now, you and I were talking before about like gatekeeping in the development industry, just sort of in general of, of like, sometimes it's difficult to break into it intentionally. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit more because for me, like I've been known to go on rants about gatekeeping and the design industry, let alone like learning to develop was so scary for me for so long because of the gatekeeping.
1: I think it's just as bad in the development community as in, as in the design community. As someone who's on developer Twitter and designer Twitter, um, I think as long as you know that you can do whatever, like as long as you're aware of, of your own ability and candid about your own ability, um, I think none of the gatekeeping matters. I think a lot of it is talk on Twitter. I think you'll find once you show up at the job and can do the thing that they're asking you to do, doesn't matter what, you know, uh, at whatever the heck, says you should be able to do or he says you should be doing. I think that some of the
0: gatekeeping or a lot of the gatekeeping comes along with like sexism and and racism and comes from a place of of just like patriarchy white supremacy all these bigotries that we deal with in both the design and the development industry. I, I feel like that's sort of a source of some of this gatekeeping is it's like a white man somewhere feeling inferior, feeling hateful, whatever the reason, and tries to limit access to resources, education, the industry in general. What, what are your thoughts on it? How, how can we fight it from the inside?
1: Holy crap, that's a good question. Um, I would say as, because, uh, you know, we're both uh, like white men, um, I would say that the way that people, that people like us specifically can fight it, um, is m- get out of the way, like make, like when there are opportunities for us, um, to elevate a non gatekeepy voice or a, uh, marginalized voice, I think we should do it. Like the, you know, the free one is like retweet a non man or a non like white person like that, you know, that's. Such a small action, but I, I feel like we don't we don't even do that enough, and because it's you know part of the way that the system works, just like making sure that the the voices that need to be heard are heard, and the the ones that are already over oxygenated um, maybe are um, platformed less. Um, you know, a lot of like the gatekeeping that or the 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 gatekeeping vibes that happen on. You know, obviously I keep coming back to like Twitter, but that's you know, where a lot of this conversation is happening. Like I think when, I think a lot of those voices that, that feel gatekeepy and loud uh, are gatekeepy and loud. And I think just like, you know, maybe not retweeting them even in like not a code retweet, just like don't give them the oxygen, whatever. Make room for a voice that you haven't heard before um, one way or another.
0: I like your metaphor of, of oxygen and giving oxygen. I've seen like challenges almost in the past of just like for a month, don't retweet somebody that's a white man and just see how, how that changes your perception of, for some white men, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're always going to have that filter, but I think it like opens their eyes a little bit to how much of white male voices they amplify versus any other marginalized group. And I've, I've heard, like you mentioned Twitter and how we're talking about that a lot, but I, I feel like this applies to other communities online, especially the coding resource ones. I've heard lots of experiences that women and people of color and women of color and gay people have had on those platforms and, and have had such negative experiences that they've actually like left them and won't even go there to try and find like a code answer
1: Oh, yeah. Like I know that um, like Stack Overflow and Reddit can both be like ridiculously toxic places.
0: We're talking about Twitter a lot, but I think that this conversation extends to Stack Overflow and Reddit and other places that people will go for resources for when they're coding. They might Google like how to make this happen in CSS, and they end up in a place that is a toxic environment that's not welcoming, that has those gatekeepers, that has the transphobia and the racism built in. What, what can we do both as white men that are in the industry that could create environments but also what can people that are looking for resources where can they look where where can they go
1: I think so I I mean definitely as white men I think the thinking twice about talking is important and I don't mean like speaking up for someone like if you see like horrible things being said on the internet like get I mean get in there and lay the smack down but like when there could be room for someone else uh, to talk. I I think just taking a second to be like, do I need to tweet this? Do I need to, uh, sorry, I came back to Twitter. Do I need to, um, you know, answer the Stack Overflow question in this way or whatever? Um, I I think it's important to just like literally just take a second to think about whether your voice is the most valuable one here um, because we're conditioned to feel like it is. um, And I, you know, maybe... Maybe ten percent of the time it actually is. Um, stack Overflow is a good one um, because when you see questions coming up a lot, there's a lot of nasty attitudes that just come up. It's like like overflow from uh, little um, <laughs> overflow from the from Hacker News or whatever. Just people are sometimes mean when they answer these questions, um, and I think. Answering them in a really positive inclusive way goes a long way like I can think of very specific well Not very specific examples of like when I was a baby coder and like someone answered my you know like CSS question that I thought was dumb because other people that answered the CSS question thought it was dumb and um, that like someone answered it in a nice way like and that like cool now that's like one of the strongest parts of my css ability i think uh, sp- like specifically making making an effort to uh, when you, when you do have to speak speak in an inclusive and friendly way i think like just be, being nice in the internet goes a long way um and then if you are trying to find resources that aren't toxic or um don't have um like like built-in systems of being a jerk Definitely, like, anything, I think any anything IndieWeb um, is going to be good. So, like, again, CodePen is a, an incredible resource. Most people on there are the friendliest people in the universe. A lot of the CodePens that you see being, like, cycled that are like, what, how did he do this with all these CSS? Almost all of those people are very wonderful. You know, I, I won't say that they'll answer your questions, but, like, because I'm, like, I don't want to volunteer for them for that labor. But, like, they... Have almost always like written educational resources, or that you know, like blog posts or whatever. They've almost always written educational resources or blog posts or whatever that uh, I, I think address a lot of the questions that that someone might have getting into code in a in, a, in a, again a friendly like inclusive way. I think it, it actually does make the difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's like um. You, there's sort of you can feel this like clear delineation between people that want to teach and help and people that want to correct and embarrass almost oh yeah yeah, um it's definitely unfortunate how common that is but like you said there's places that you can go and people that you can trust to be the like educational resource and if you're someone in the industry a designer an engineer whatever like be that helping person because it's not like teaching somebody else your secrets gives them away like it, it doesn't lose opportunities for you it's just build you know it's the rising tides analogy right right so on your website and on faculty's website there's a banner that says black lives matter which i love will you talk about that a little bit why why'd you do it when would you ever take it down
1: um yeah so i i added that um because i i noticed like with some other development um like uh, other places in the development community, conversations seem to shift back towards the the regular, like, should we be using React, whatever nonsense, much sooner, like these, like fundamental injustices are not like resolved yet. Um, and so I really, I know that my website gets a decent amount of traffic, thanks to Netlify Analytics. Um, and I really wanted to um, like sh- shove this messaging down people's throat at every opportunity. like. This isn't going to go away, and I think as much as you can keep it at the forefront of the general zeitgeist, zeitgeist, um, I think that's important. And like, you know, again, as like very privileged people, um, I think it's the it's like the bare minimum is to just like put it where people can see it all the time. If they're coming to to you for whatever, make sure they see it. Um, I don't know when I'll take it down, if ever. Um, I don't think there's anything, you know, I think it has a, like, I think it looks good where it is. I think it, it matters where it is. Um, and I, you know, it doesn't, like, cost me anything to have it up there. So that, yeah.
0: Yeah, it, this sort of the motivation of that question is, black lives will never stop mattering. It's sort of, um, to me, like, putting your pronouns in your bio wherever you have a platform to because it normalizes it for other people. There's never going to be a reason for me to take my pronouns out of my bio.
1: Right. Just like, yeah, socializing and making sure that it's part of people's everyday conversation every day. Yeah, I think that's important. And this is like, obviously, the banner is like a really tiny thing to do, but it is something to do. There are other things you can do. And I, you know, obviously that are that are more impactful and, and um, higher effort but you know this is like i think a small important thing
0: it's not an empty gesture the way that the like black squares on instagram was it it's different because you're uh, not doing it to make yourself feel better necessarily and you're also not doing it to distract from the movement being organized you know it's not like the movement was being organized on your the header of your website so.
1: And and I don't take up any space in the actual discourse that's happening by doing that. Like the the black squares, whatever, was like your whole feed was just black squares, which is, um, you know, like reducing again, the the oxygen metaphor, um, reducing like access to the more important aspects of that conversation. Um, And I feel like this doesn't do this.
0: Uh, Something that we kind of circled but didn't say and I just want to like have said out loud and I think I've said it on the podcast before is like white supremacy is something that white people need to dismantle. It's our responsibility just like the patriarchy is something that men need to dismantle and it's our responsibility. So just thought it needed to be said more clearly.
1: Oh yeah absolutely.
0: Uh, Who is one person that our listeners should know about?
1: I would be surprised if they haven't been mentioned here before but definitely like Tatiana Mack is an incredibly powerful voice for fighting injustice specifically, I mean, everywhere, but specifically in um, the development design community. Um, They've got an amazing project called the Self-Defined App, which is uh, basically like a dictionary for um, understanding the way that language is evolving um, both in nefarious ways and in, um, in inclusive ways and helping people identify like, okay, this is a term like you shouldn't be using anymore. Uh, here's a well-reasoned written and open source uh, micro essay about why you shouldn't be using it anymore. So that way you don't have to like ask somebody who is already like struggling with the marginalization of being called that term or whatever. You can just do the the work yourself to understand or here is a term that you specifically should be using and um, here's a uh, well-reasoned explanation of why and who it protects and et cetera. Um, selfdefined.app I believe is the URL. That incredible and Tatiana Mac's work on that is fantastic and such such a powerful person day in, day out. I do not know how they have the energy.
0: Tatiana Mac is probably the most commonly uh, referred to person on this show, so I, I, I love that they've been mentioned yet again. And I, I haven't checked out the self-defined app, so I'm going to put that in the show notes for everybody to check out as well.
1: Since Tatiana Mac has already been mentioned, in the interest of elevating people who maybe don't have quite as large of a platform, uh, Sarah Flossheim, incredible like Twitter follow, um, their blog is amazing. They're writing about like technology and design, and their presence is like another you know LGBTQ person in the space. Um, super incredibly valuable. Um, highly recommend. They're very wonderful.
0: I also recommend Sarah so much that there's a whole Bézier episode with Sarah. So <laughs> that will be linked in the show notes too. If you haven't heard, it's it's such a good episode. What about books? What book do you think everybody should read?
1: Topically, I would say, so you want to talk about race? I think another small action that is like fairly low effort that makes a difference in the long term that like privileged people can take right now is reading uh, like anti-racist literature or even just diverse literature, not, you know, literature that's not about, like, cis straight white people or written by cis straight white people. So yeah, that's, that's really fantastic one. Non-topically, House of Leaves, freaking really cool, written by, (laughs) written by a cis straight white dude, Um, but is really like a super wild book. Uh, I I read it first in high school. I feel like it's like life-changing. It's an experiment in ergodic literature in that the form reflects the function, uh, and that's just as wild as it sounds.
0: I don't even know what that means. I'm excited to check it out. It's
1: yeah, it's pretty incredible. When things start to get claustrophobic or scary, the format of the book starts to get claustrophobic and scary. Wow. Oh yeah.
0: Okay. Very very exciting. Very exciting. We'll be linked in the show notes as well, and I'm gonna definitely check it out. And to your point about like uh, c- cis white authors, that's just like the checking out who have been conscious about who you retweet check out your reading list and see like, hey, are different types of voices represented here? And I think like that's, that's a really helpful thing if, if you haven't done that examination already. So I believe everyone should get paid for their time. So what we do on this show is our wonderful sponsors, we we take the profits from this show, the sponsors, as well as any donations people give to us buying our swag. And we give that to all of the guests of the show. Outside of that, what are other ways that people can
1: support you? Uh, follow me on Twitter for sure. Um, I don't really tweet about tech very often. It's probably like twenty percent of the time, um, but the rest is really good shit posts about like pasta and stuff. Um, and so that's uh, incurably.online is my uh, is my Twitter. Uh, if you want to like, it'll t- that URL will take you to my Twitter. So I don't have to like give you the whole URL or anything. I think that's it. <laughs> just I li- I live for clout that's I gotta have just follow me on Twitter please please
0: usually I follow that question with where's the best place for people to find you it sounds like it's your Twitter we've mentioned your website a couple times so I'll include that as well is there anywhere else that you'd like to have followers or contact from our listeners
1: honestly no I think you know like the those are the places that I'm most active um, whether I'm you know like I I, I blog fairly infrequently but I uh, you know, you can find that on my website. Um, most of the time that is about tech. So if you're only interested in the tech content, I do have like an RSS feed and stuff. Um, I think uh, uh, in general, like the, the, the best place is Twitter.
0: Fantastic. Twitter will be linked or we'll just put incurably.online. <laughs> in <the show> <laughs> Henry, thank you so much for being on Betsy. I've really enjoyed hearing from you. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our audience before we wrap up?
1: In general, I think people on the internet will kind of say whatever they want. And a lot of times it's like nasty or loud or wrong or exclusive in some way. There are thousands of people on the internet who are consistently kind and inclusive and wonderful. And if, if it is if something on, you know, Twitter or on Stack Overflow or whatever, like h- hits you the wrong way or doesn't feel like it's like it's meant to include you just exclude the voice from your, like, it's obviously easier said than done, but just like none of these, none of these like, you know, thought leaders or whatever are, are powerful when they log off or, 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 or really useful when they log on. Right. So I think just like you can seek out voices that, that feel better to you and feel more inclusive of who you are. Um, And I would encourage you to like, You know, especially like, holy crap, the way in which the technology space opened up for me um, when I started including, you know, other other queer voices or or, you know, non white voices or just non thought leader voices like there are so many wonderful people out there and they're not always elevated. And I think doing the work to elevate them for yourself or elevate them in general um, is is super important and su- pays off very quickly and also in the long run um, I'm, I'm mostly talking about Twitter, but like you know obviously Twitter isn't real life so
0: I, I love that message I, I, I just want to reinforce that like cis straight white thought leader is often coming from place of overconfidence or and or insecurity and or gatekeeping and so I, I love that like surround yourself, find your community of people like you people that are queer and people that are marginalized and people that are kind and chased after that i think that's a great message
1: nice i nailed it
0: (laughs) nailed it (laughs) thank you again for being on the show it's it's been great to have
1: you thank you for having me it's been such an honor Bezier is
0: a design interview podcast amplifying voices in our creative communities that don't already have large platforms and aren't working at the big five tech companies. We focus on finding guests from all over the world and representative of as many of us as possible. If you have a great guest idea for Bezier, please email us at inquiry at That's I-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at Z-A-C-H-T